Produced by Ranting Rhino Productions, Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. Hey everybody, welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is episode 81, but you already knew that. But what you didn't know is that this is the beginning of a new season. That's right, a new season, new music, lots of guests. I'm really looking forward to this new season of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast because I'm going to be looking at growing in my own knowledge and practice, hence the term praxis, in my teaching and learning. And this episode delivers. We have Chad Flynn. He's a great friend. Actually, he's a close friend of mine. He's an extraordinary educator. He is the dean of Trades and Technology at Medicine Hat College, and it's great to have him on the show. I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you. Sit back, relax, enjoy. We'll see you on the other side. Yes, you can. <laughs> uh, it would not be, not be inappropriate if Michael showed up. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. It's been a minute since we've been on the show. Had a bit of a break, extended break. So uh, it's, uh, it's been good to, uh, to have that break, but it's also good to be back and good to have you with us. And today we have a very special guest, a colleague, a friend, and uh, all around good guy, Dean from the Medicine Hat College in Alberta, Dean of Trades and Technology. Is that right, Chad? Dean of Trades that and Technology? Is correct. Yeah, Dean of Trades and Technology. Perfect. Chad Flynn, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be back. It's been a hot minute since I've been on the show. So it's good to finally, we've been talking about doing this and we've tried a couple of times. That's right. But uh, yeah, it's come a long ways from when I was actually on more often than not. Yeah, that's right. I was going back listening to some old episodes, man, and we're like, Wow, that, that I remember getting together and doing all those things, and I remember doing, doing that live, like in the basement or at BCIT, <laughs> or like there was back in the day. And now, yeah, here we are on Zoom. Yep, and we did a few episodes live on YouTube with uh, the famous Ed Logan from Ontario. Yeah, oh, so yeah shout out to Ed. Yeah, no doubt. I'd be good to have be back into a conversation with Ed. That's right. So if you hear some strange noises in the back, that's just my dog. <laughs> That maybe it sounded like, you know, those guys that chew all the time, they bring out their can and they're smacking oh. it to get the, it's like, yeah. are you, are you into the chew now? No, no, not into the chew. Not even close. I'm in the coffee. I'm in the coffee. It's early, but uh, yes. it's all good. All right, Chad. So because it's been such a hot minute uh, since we've had you on the show, bring us up to speed and brother, what's, what's been going on with you? Well, it's funny that you should mention Tim. I just had my one year anniversary at the college yesterday. Mm. So okay. I had my, I was, because you're in a position for a while, you have to go through a probationary period. It was a one-year probation. So I met with my president yesterday just to reflect on the past year and man, what a year it's been. So yeah. previous to this, I was, I had a short stint working for SAS Polytech as a learning technologies trainer. Mm-hmm. Previous to that, you and I worked at BCIT and you were in the plumbing department. I was an electrical instructor. So over the past year, the amount of learning that I have had to go through stepping from a learning technology ed tech, like fanatic into an administrative role has been absolutely mind blowing. And oh, that's probably what will. <laughs> it's, and that's one of the things the president asked me yesterday. He was like, so what were your expectations going into it and how were they different? And I was like, okay, 
<laughs> well, are you ready? My expect, yeah, exactly. Well, my expectations going in, I said, honestly, having come from industry and working as I was an operations manager for an electrical instrumentation firm in Fort McMurray, mm-hmm. I was an assistant area manager for an electrical instrumentation up in Fort McMurray. I had management experience at a hot springs resort. I had all this management experience in industry, never having managed in academia before. Right. I said, so coming on board and I had it in my head, what I thought a Dean did because mm-hmm. of my time at BCIT basically. And then I said, it's, it's like that meme where you got those four quadrants where it's like what my, my mom thinks I do, what my friends <laughs> think I do and what I actually do. And what I thought going into it was I, I thought I was going to be just an operations manager. I thought I was going to make sure that the day-to-day of the trades and technology department would move forward. And mm-hmm. yes, that's true. That's, that is one small aspect of the job. It turns out I'm very, very lucky in the fact that I have such a fantastic faculty mm-hmm. that I don't have a lot of problems with that. They, I don't like to say they run themselves, but they're, they self-manage a lot and they're, they're really open to new ideas and we have great discussions mm-hmm. and I don't have a lot of issues in that regards. So I also, because we're at a small college, we wear a lot of hats and we we're talking about that yesterday as well. So mm-hmm. typically like, like at a BCIT, you would have like a, a Dean and then you have an associate Dean. Some schools have chairs where at BCIT, we have a Dean and then we have our coordinators. I'm not at BCIT, at Medicine at College. Right. And right. so that all those other positions that are in between there, like the chair and the, um, the associate dean, we don't have that. So I, I have to kind of take on that aspect of it. So wow. again, operationally, I, I have a lot of stuff, but again, thank goodness that I have such a faculty that I don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. But then there's the other stuff where we don't have AVPs, like associate vice presidents. So Okay. One, a couple of things that got put on my plate because I love technology. I love innovation. I love creativity. Whenever something would come up, like the work integrated learning um, was a huge thing that came across Alberta. Alberta's got this Alberta 2030 report where they want all the PSIs or post-secondary institutes to have some form of work integrated learning in absolutely every program. Really? So even if you're, yeah, even if you're in like social sciences, they want to make sure that you have some touch to industry. Huh. So, which is very interesting. So again, we, we have work integrated learning. We've always had work integrated learning when we talk about trades. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to jump in on the work integrated learning initiative. Uh, Medicine Hat College had a very rudimentary one. So we've been working the past year, it really stepping up the game and getting a framework built. And now we're getting policies in place and procedures. Mm-hmm. And I got a team working on that. So typically that wouldn't have been something that fell in my wheelhouse as a Dean, luckily mm-hmm. for me that it did. We also have a center of innovation that we're starting up. So that's because I'm in trades and technology and I, I had just a love of innovation. That was an area that kind of fell into my portfolio as well. So again, building a strategic plan for that, working in industry, we've gotten a few people that are actually working with us now on projects, which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. So those are the, the kind of things that really kind of push forward. And so, like I said to my president yesterday, I love the operations. I love my faculty. I love that side of the house, but I also love that I get to play in these sandboxes as well. And so it, my expectation for the job was high going in and it's far superseded and exceeded anything I ever thought it could be. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Long cool. story long. No, that's good, man. That's good. Um, yeah, because you know, having, having a role like you do, I, I imagine that um, you could get bogged down in a lot of the uh, operational Mm-hmm. details and aspects of what you need to do and, and, and all that. But, uh, 
and or personnel issues, right? I imagine that yeah. could that could bog you down pretty quick. But having having lots of people take taking kind of the, the self directional uh, perspective on what they're doing sure frees you up a lot, right? It does, and also like not micromanaging. And I've never in any role I've ever had, I trust the people that are working with me. Yeah, and so I don't sit there. I don't require them to have to always tell me or make they come to me with the decision. There's certain things that obviously higher level things that might affect the entire Institute or entire school. Yes. You have to talk to me about Mm. within your own program. That's your program. I'm an electrician by trade. And then I've got a master's in learning and technologies. If you're a heavy equipment trainer or technology or AST or carpenter, I don't know that. I don't know how to teach that. So Mm -hmm. you have the freedom in which you want to run with that. If you want to run those ideas past me and we'll have a conversation about it for sure. Mm-hmm. but I don't need you. I don't need you to come to me and ask if you should be doing this part, asynchronous, this part synchronous, or, you know, can I make videos for this or should I be blah, blah, blah. Like there's, that's up to you and right. I trust you. Right. And so, and again, because I've got such a great faculty that they, they do that sort of stuff and they've come up with really innovative, crazy, good ideas. And it's kind of spilling out. That's awesome. That's really good. And, you know, cause we're friends and we talk a lot offline and online mm-hmm. and senior posts and all that other stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing to see what can happen when you have a group of people who don't need that, that real close management style. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're used to working in groups or, or, or without a lot of oversight, um, that's really good. So it, it probably didn't take a, a long time to develop a, a foundation of trust between you and your teams when you first started. Am I right? A little, I mean, yes and no. I mean, some people, because there had been previous, there's, I mean, I'm stepping into a position that somebody else had. So right. you, there's those relationship building that you have to go into. And then the, mm-hmm. like you do things differently than the previous, your, my predecessor did. So mm-hmm. Some people were very comfortable with that. Some people not so much. So mm-hmm. having those conversations of just being, trying to be authentic, trying to form relationships, really getting to know people, not just, I, I made an effort to spend time with every single one of my faculty and, and staff and get to know them as, mm-hmm. as people, not just as a AST trainer or a carpentry trainer or a plumbing gas fitter, just as people. And so I, I made a, a big push on that. And so he yeah, had trust built after we were, I was actually talking to my assistant yesterday about it. My trust is built over the past year, but it's take, it has taken a lot of work mm-hmm. because there has been previous, there was previous expectations and they didn't know me. And right. I do do things differently than like quite differently than others had done it. And I, mm-hmm. I give a lot more rope than others. And so they, they weren't, they weren't used to that. And so it did take time for them to realize that oh, no, I, I don't have to check in or I can go into talk to the, talk to him about this. And so like, like anything and any kind of relationships always, it takes time to build up and to prove that you're authentic. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. That's good. So what's, what's on top of your mind for this coming year then? This year is, I think we're really focusing on Alberta is going through a huge change with uh, their, their apprenticeship act. They're really looking, I think you and I've talked about this offline before too, but they're really looking at trying to create this parity of esteem between trades education or TVET and academia. So typically you can go two years into a a program, you get a diploma and four years, you get a bachelor's. And after that, you can go into graduate work with trades. Typically what'll happen is you get your trades ticket and then that's it. It's kind of, yeah, I hate to say it, but it is, it's dead end. Now you can go find other institutes. There are some out there, a shout out to rural roads that will take, 
previous life experience and then work with that. Right. And you and I have both gone through the Royal roads program, having not had an undergraduate degree, but they, um, what they really want to do here in Alberta is that if you get a trades ticket because of the amount of time you're in class, they want to look at that as an equivalent to a diploma. So when a student oh. comes out with their ticket and whether it's whatever, like gas, or electrician, plumber, they get their red seal, they get their certificate of qualification, but they will also get a diploma. So that you'd come out of medicine hat college with your ticket and a diploma in uh, electrical technologies or whatever. We're still trying to figure oh. that's all getting worked out. Yeah. So then you actually have those two years of credit. So if you want to go on to get a bachelor's, mm-hmm. you can take that. Or if you want to go on to a, a master's that accept diplomas, then you have something to back that up. So that's an area that's really, we're looking at, at doing. Uh, also, we're looking at how the industry and we're, they're really trying to tie together industry, post-secondary institutes and the students and the mm-hmm. government is, is in there, but they're trying to become more of a liaise than just, telling us how to do things much like in BC, we have the ITA that kind of controls all that mm-hmm. here in Alberta. We have what's called AIT. AIT. We're looking at partnering with the, the post-secondary institutes where we will have control of the curriculum. We will have control of the um, actual resources that are being put out. And so we will work together. So right now I'm part of a working group and just how that's going to look, which we're looking into things like um, the log book, which I know we, we, or the blue book or whatever you want to call it, but that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that book that most of us had going through our apprenticeship that our journey people signed off on that, whether yeah. we've done things or not. Yeah. So yeah. one of the big discussions we're having about around all that is proof of competency should not just be a signature proof of competency should be proof of competency. So right. now with the technologies we have, we can take pictures, we can show videos, we can actually provide proof that a student has a competency in an area. And then from that, they can get a, a check mark or a digital badge or whatever. And then that gets into a whole other discussion around blockchain and NFTs and all that fun stuff. Cause we're looking right. at how to do that, decentralize it as opposed to having it, you have to be stuck within a certain system. So there's a lot of work that's going into that over the next year here in Alberta. And we're trying to, the, the legislation is passed for our apprenticeship act to change. It's coming into effect now in January but it's the other work behind the scenes to get all this curriculum building and the new model, how we want to do these things. And, and then also we're trying to make sure that we are holding industry more accountable as well, because like with trades, some, you get some people who go out and have a great experience. I had an amazing experience during my time where I got a lot of great hands-on experience. My boss would take side jobs on residential stuff just so I could touch a little bit of residential. Right. But then you hear these horror stories of students that are treated like laborers and that students apprentices that are treated like laborers and don't get that experience. So we're really trying to hold industry to account, be more accountable for that as well. And bringing them into the educational process because with apprenticeship, it's so siloed. It's, you know, you, you work for a bit, you work for your 50 weeks or whatever, but then you go to school, but they don't really connect. I mean, there's a school. Yes. And it's, it's, you've got the theory and all that, but it's, we don't tie it all together. And at the end, we just kind of, Say, okay, you've got all this, the hours now, you get your 6,000 hours or your 5,000 hours, whatever it is, 4,500 hours. Then you've got your, you know, you pass these, the theoretical side of things at the school. So that's mash those two together and call it a certificate of qualification. Then you go on to write a, a multiple choice test and you are now a red seal, whatever. Right? right. So we're trying to move outside of that, which I mean, I'd love to get rid of that multiple choice. That's a friend of mine, Mike Smith from an undisclosed college would talk about burning it down and getting rid of that because 
what does that really prove other than they're good, really good at memorizing. But yeah, again, no it's really easy. It's really easy to mark. So I, I, I see the, the value in it, but Mike would want to get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Mike's alone in that, in that, uh, in that adventure. <clears throat> so a ton of stuff there. So when we're, when you're looking at the bringing back the book and, and going into almost like a digital um, log where mm-hmm. apprentices can track their, their progress through the system through not just year to year, but almost essentially job to job and, and uh, skill to skill, task to task. Is there, is there any talk uh, or is there a hope to use that as a, in combination to the red seal exam or even the, cause I know in Alberta, you guys have the, um, the provincial TQ. Mm-hmm. Um, so is, is there any talk in marrying that together where apprentices can essentially get credit for certain aspects of their, of their exam where they don't have to quote unquote, write that piece. That hasn't come up in the conversations I've been, but I, I think it's a natural progression. Like I think it, it will end up in that direction. I mm-hmm. think because there has been like little quips about the red seal exam. And mm-hmm. I think anybody who's on that working group that I'm part of was, they say that they're it's, it's problematic, but there's a reason for it. But I could see that Tim. I, I mean, I'd love to hear your thought on that too. Like what, what do you think if we had e-portfolios, do you think that gets rid of like having to prove for the red seal and what would we do with that red seal? Like how could we assess for it? Because it, it becomes here in Alberta, you can get your, you can pass your TQ and you don't even have to get a red seal, right? You can, you don't have yeah. to take that, that red seal exam. You, you're still a plumber here in Alberta and you, you say, okay, I'm never leaving Alberta. So why even bother getting my red seal? Yeah. And that, and that's been a problem, I think nationally, when it comes to people being able to move from one job to the other. Um, and I've seen it from, from, from two arms lengths away where, you know, apprentices have moved from one province to the other uh, to even go to school uh, and then go back to their home province to, to work. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think having a digital portfolio is probably, probably the best of both worlds. And, and I look at trades like cook and hairstylist and, and we have a good friend, Sally Vinan, who's been on the cusp of that whole change with hairstylist mm-hmm. where they actually have a practical and a written for their red seal which really just makes sense because it's a, it's a natural progression from the practical theoretical experience that apprentices have when they come to our schools, right? They're, they're going to, they're going to be sitting in a classroom. Yes, but they're also going to be going to a shop or some kind of lab and, and not just in trades, but you're seeing that in other areas of vocational education too, like nursing and mm-hmm. lab tech and x-ray and, and, and all these, um, all these different subsets of that. You, there's, there's lots of hands-on that happen. Mm-hmm. And the question that, that, I think you and I wrestle with as well as a lot of other people is how do we assess that properly? Right. Um, yeah, yeah we can create a rubric and, and have all that stuff and, and check boxes off and that's great. But how does that integrate into their final mark? Right. And traditionally those practical exams have been weighted low uh, compared to the theory. And, and I wonder if there's room in the, in the dialogue to see those numbers balance out a bit more. Um, you know, because we, we could all, we could all say that, that there are people in the trades where they wouldn't even need to come to school. They can just write the exams and off they go. And then there's yeah. people who come to trades who come to trades because they're for whatever reason, they're not really good in the theory. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're great with their hands. And so why would we want to penalize, uh, apprentices 
uh, with it, with a, an exam that's meant to be more of a gate than, than an actual, uh, assessment tool. And, right. and, you know, our good friend, Nikki, shout out to Nikki would be shouting from the rooftops right now about all the assessment stuff that that's going on. But I, I want, I, I think that there's, there's going to be, have to be, there's going to have to be some kind of progression to proving that you can do the work, uh, outside of A, B, C, and D. Mm -hmm. Right. Agreed. Well, it even happened, like when I was in industry as an operations manager and I have a resume come across my desk and somebody would say they could bend pipe. Yeah. But then when, so you, you look at the resume and sometimes you have time to call the references. Sometimes you don't, you don't call all the references, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of it, you hire this person because you, you know, they checked all the boxes, but then you get out and their, their pipe bending is absolutely horrific. And mm -hmm. so if, if I had had access to somebody's portfolio, like when somebody goes for advertising or for marketing or art, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fine art, they, they bring that in they show their portfolio. Well, why can't we do that in trades? And we, sometimes we're called artisans, right? So why not, mm -hmm. why don't we have these portfolios? And I've have had people bring their photo albums in to show me some of the work they've done and that makes a difference. So why can't we put that in there? And it's now so easy. Our students yep. can take pictures. Our students do take pictures. They're Snapchatting and TikToking all their work. Mm -hmm. Half the people I follow on TikTok now are tradespeople that are, are electricians that are posting almost every day of some of the amazing, amazing work they do. Well, that, that yeah. becomes something. And if we could somehow link that to a portfolio, well, then they've got proof that they could do it. Yeah. And this is part of that wholesale burning down and rebuilding of, of the trades education system, because I think that we miss the boat educationally sometimes because we're behind in the curriculum that we're teaching. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in the, in the plumbing world, uh, materials have been evolving so quickly. Uh, and, and new technologies have been brought into the construction world so, so much that why would they come to class and learn about a, a, a joining method that they have never done and never will do. Yeah. And yet it's part of this archaic, well, archaic, maybe a strong word, but archaic curriculum package that they have to read through and then write an exam on, on something that, you know, very few people actually really do, but somehow it made it into the curriculum. Well, aside from like humanities, I mean, this could go broad over almost every single discipline in a post-secondary institute, right? The moment the curriculum is always outdated, always. Like, I don't care what field you're in. You could be in nursing, you could be in electrical, you could be in informational technology. The moment you show up and you buy that obscenely expensive textbook, it's completely out of date. So maybe we need to rethink education. This is Mike speaking now, education as a whole, and think about, well, do we, are we here to teach our students about the latest technologies? Cause we can't, we're always behind. Or are we here to help facilitate to learn how to learn as a discussion you Sally and Lucy and Nikki and I have had ad nauseum. Or should we work on those metacognitive skills? Should we be working on those essential skills? And yes, we do it under the context of plumbing or we do it under the context of electrical or information technology or architecture, but we're teaching our students more holistically as opposed to the technologies and the hands-on stuff they're going, they should be getting out in industry. The same thing goes for like here in Alberta too, with this, this um, apprenticeships stuff that they're going through, they're doing what they're calling an ex apprenticeship expansion where they're trying to bring in other disciplines into the apprenticeship model as well. So somebody who's working in data analytics, well, they could come to the college and we could teach them about algorithms and all that 
And then after two years, they get a diploma and try to get a job, or we can partner with industry and we teach them how to do certain things that industry is telling us that they need. Then they go out and they work for a bit in data analytics, much like we do in, in industry, except for now we, our curriculum is always so behind on everything. And that's what I'm saying. That's one thing I could say on as a Dean in having my feet in trades and in technology and being part of all these other committees, we're seeing that in everything aside from like a course on Chaucer, Canterbury tales, like not much that maybe doesn't change, but everything else is rapidly changing all the time. So why are we so focused on this curriculum when we need to be focused on the other things? I think like we're in this, this area where we can actually do some good for people. Yeah. So do you think, do you think the curriculum needs to be, um, well, there's probably two parts to this question. One, do you think curriculum needs to be released regionally that it can evolve and adapt regionally, uh, as well as, do you think curriculum should be built or could be built with more interested stakeholders at the table, AKA students or recent grads? Yeah. I think what needs to happen is opposed to, and this is a, I think a problem across PSIs everywhere is we have, we have us sit down as our subject matter experts who have been in the college system. Now I haven't been on the tools for 12 years. Uh, but then I think that I I'm part of committees where they're designing curriculum for trades. Right. And so, but I don't see a lot of industry there and I definitely do not see students there and I don't see former students there. So how powerful could it be if we actually have the students having a voice in there and industry having a voice in there? And yes, we have articulation committees and we have our uh, program advisory committees and our, all that sort of our apprenticeship committees, but it's not the same as if we get them in there as an actual stakeholder, as opposed to just like showing up to a meeting once a quarter and giving their two cents. It would be very interesting to see if we could design curriculum around that sort of thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. What do you think, what do you think are some of the barriers to getting industry to the table to help with curriculum development? Cause I don't think Albert is unique in the challenge. I think it's an old school mentality. It's oh, the, the big thing that I think we're going to run into is it's always been done this way. Why, why are we changing it? It's working. We're getting students coming through, you know, the apprenticeships, it's very busy. Yeah. We have low, I can't really, you'd know the stats better than I would, but from the time a uh, apprentice starts to the time they get the red seal is what 50% actually make it through. So, but they, they look at that number and celebrate it. And so say that's, that's 50%. That's great. We got a lot. If you have 700,000 come start, then you're going to have 350,000 journey people at the end of it. But I just think that we got to get past that idea. And it's just, it's very different. Like change is hard and trades traditionally, even in the time that you and I've been in the trades over the past 30 years, we've seen it change substantially, but even like the, the mindset of you always treated your apprentice, like they were garbage because that's the way you were treated. You're starting to finally see that change, even though it's, it's taking some time. So it's just, I would love to like, we always joke, burn it down and then build it up right away. But I think it's going to be slow changes and getting the right people in the right positions and taking those students, moving them into faculty positions, moving them into administrative positions, moving them into government positions. That's how that's, it's going to be a slow change. And I think that's how we've got to where we are right now. Just all that slow change from before. So I think we keep working ahead, I think, and having these types of conversations, but not just with you and I, but with everybody that is interested in having them, then we can do something about it. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you think there's, um, do you think there's a, um, 
or, or talk to me a little bit about the, the perspective that industry has of post-secondary in your context there in Alberta. Well, and how, like, as far as trades is concerned or. Yeah. As far as far as trades is concerned, like what's, what's the perspective of industry to post-secondary? It's, I mean, for in, the, in my area, like, let's just talk about medicine hat then which is a small city. We have uh, roughly with the surrounding areas, we have a hundred and some odd thousand people here. Uh, the college, it, it has a presence because it is the college, right? Everybody talks about, they don't say it's MHC or whatever. They always talk about this overarching brand of the college. So I think there is an understanding that it's there, it's necessary, but it's been islanded. And I think a lot of institutes are, are like that in the sense, the ones I've been involved with anyways. And I don't say that as a bad thing. It's just, it, it is the way that these things are, but they will, an institute will design things and then go out to industry and say, okay, here's what we've designed. What do you think? Or are you on board? Or here's what we've designed. Please enroll. Now that it's, it's been the way things have done. It's, it's the way things are done internally in colleges too, right? We have, and I think we've talked about this too. The problem is you have these instructional designers that will build things and then they will go to the trades department and say, here, use this. And they, but oh, don't worry, we've got a workshop for you. Whereas how many times, how do we have people being brought in? I, the BCIT was good. They, they had a great team there that would start to bring people like yourself in or me in to have conversations. Right. Um, but what we need to do and what I think I'm excited about medicine at college is they're really trying to like, yes, they maybe have been an Island because that's the way post-secondary institutes have been, but now they're laying down a lot of bridge work and trying to bring in industry before, before they even come up with one single outcome for a course before. Cause that's, I mean, if we talk, bring Sally on and we've talked about this about backwards design, you always start with the outcomes and work backwards, right? It would be interesting or it is interesting. And this is already starting to happen in our colleges. What, is what would the difference be from something that we as a college would design versus what a actual industry stakeholder would want. And it's sometimes they're aligned, but there's sometimes there's some things that we miss. And it goes back to my point about our curriculum will always be out of date because our fingers not always on the pulse of what's going on in industry. So if we could put those bridges down, bring the stakeholders in before we even design a course, if we bring the stakeholders in just, to say, what are your needs? And then from there we decide, okay, you know, you need something in a sustainable energy professional. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. What would that look like to you? And so having those discussions, then building something and having them, okay, let's, we're going to go away for a bit and we'll come back and, and then you build it and you bring it to them and you say, what do you think? And when they say, I wouldn't have that part in there, then take that part out as opposed to just, these stakeholder consultations that sometimes happen where we just show and we say, okay, well, thank you for your input. And then just go ahead with what we want to do anyways. It's interesting when you actually listen to them and start moving things around because of the things that they're saying. And boy, wouldn't it be interesting to see what kind of a Institute you would have doing that where you actually bring the stakeholders in as opposed to being prescriptive, you're being collaborative. Yeah. It's always more powerful when you're collaborative like that. And, and it certainly goes a long way in building trust between the two entities. Right. Because mm -hmm. I think there's a, I think there's a long history of mistrust 
from industry to post-secondary education is, and you and I have heard this statement tons of times where, you know, we'll send you to, to school to learn the book stuff, but I'm going to yeah. train you how to really do it. Yeah. Right. Totally. And, and even that whole language behind, are we educators or are we trainers? Right. Um, that's a huge shift for a lot of people who are teaching because they come out of a system where they were trained to do certain things. And now they're looking at, at teaching and it's like, well, I'm training them to do tasks. And it's like, well, I'm not sure that that's why we're here, but okay. And then you, then you move on to try and change that perspective. I wonder, I wonder how uh, micro credentials can help with, with this move. Have you guys been talking about micro credentials a little bit? Oh yeah. That's it's huge because it's, I mean, micro credentials as a PSI overall gigantic, and you're not going to find a school that's not talking about it's the buzz right now, right? You go to any school, it's, it's the buzz right now because of the fact that technology allows us to do these things to digitally badge and to, to build these micro courses. I think we have to have them in there. I think the, it, the days of a student finishing high school, then going on to post-secondary education, getting their degree, and then going into a job for 30 years are over. What we're having is students going out of high school, some are on gap year, some are going on to college and then going on to get their degrees and then get their jobs, but then want to recertify. And there's, I can't remember what the stats are, but a few years ago, it was like somebody's supposed to have seven to eight careers within their lifetime. And I think it's even more so now with the whole gig economy. So we need to revamp our model in the sense that we've got to really, we have to focus on lifelong learners as opposed to the people coming just out of high school. We've got to make it more accessible for the working moms, the working dads. Um, you and I both went through a master's program full time while fully working, right? That's again, a shout out to Rural Roads University of the way they've designed those courses. We need to do that at every institute is have those opportunities so we need to kind of restructure how we're looking at, at that. And I think micro credentials is a great way to do that. We can put together these little courses. And now with high flex and with the way that we can deliver, you can have, I mean, with the synchronous and asynchronous students don't have to show up to these lectures. They can watch them afterwards and then you can assess for outcomes afterwards. So there's other ways in which we can do that. Right. So, yeah, I'm, there's so many memories that come flooding back in my mind when you bring some of this stuff up. It's like, uh, what? They don't have to come to class. Then I'm <laughs> yeah. not, I'm, I'm not in control. All right. If yeah. they're not, if they're not exact, if they're not sitting in a desk in front of me, I'm not in control. And if they're not writing down everything that I'm writing on the board, they're not really learning. Right. Yeah. And here's, I'm going to go on around here. So this is Mike Smith now from an undisclosed college. One thing I can't stand, and this is causing my blood to boil over the past couple of days is people who say, well, online isn't as good as face-to-face -face and it never will be. And I completely 1000% disagree with that statement. I think that there is some, if, if it's designed properly, it can be unbelievable. I've been part of it. I've seen it happen. I've also been face-to-face -face where it's been absolute garbage and trash and a complete waste of my time. And I've taken courses where I, I might as well have just showed up and written the test. I have taken courses where I've just shown up and written the test, right. Or you clock out. So this whole point of, you know, it has to be face to face and you no, know, it always, if you don't do it that way, it's not going to be as good drives me crazy because a very well-designed course online asynchronously can be just as life-changing as a face-to-face, -face, if not more so, because they have more access. You, you can get, more creative with it. You can have more interaction with it. So yeah, I'll get off my soapbox now. 
Mike out. <laughs> you go, baby. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good to have you on the show. Burn it down. Burn it all down. So let's talk a little bit about high flex. You got some people in your in your school and in some areas that you're overseeing that are um, not just playing around with it, but it sounds like they're being really successful with it. Talk to me yeah. a little bit about that. Well, you've had Peter Kelly on, and uh, he is he he's amazing. So he's actually it's funny. I mentioned earlier that we don't have chairs. We actually do have a chair now. And I've got for the trades and technology department, we got it added into our budget last year. And it was Peter Kelly, who's actually, as of January 1st, took the position as department chair for trades and technology. So, um, yeah, we have, he took, so the, the whole story, and if you want to go back, I'm not sure which episode Peter's was, but what happened was he came into my class once he's like, I, or not my class, my office. And he said, isn't there a way? Cause I think I did this when I was going to school in Ontario, but isn't there not a way where you know, students can come face to face, but if they can't, they can have access to videos or if they can't even make it, but they want to watch it, they can do videos. I was like, yeah, it's called high flex. I said, but just, I said, be careful though, Peter, because high flex, a lot of people is, is completely misdefined in the sense that some people believe that high flex is just turning on a webcam, doing your lecture and then letting the students be there live for the lecture, watch online for the lecture or watch the lecture afterwards. I said, there's so much more to high flex than that. In fact, that's, that's just like, you could call that online. Maybe I think we're calling it emergency remote delivery that a lot of schools are still in. I said, <laughs> we have to look at, yeah. Oh, and we're still here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you have to look at how you're assessing it and you have to really design the course so that students who are choosing to do it asynchronously get just as much value as somebody who would be there face to face. And that requires some design and some, the way you're building the course. And he took it to heart and put his head down. And with his team is, um, we call them the CAD beat team. They're, they're the architectural and the building engineering, built engineering environment, built environment engineering technology program. Um, so they put their heads down and really went to town on it. The nice thing I like about that group is they, they try things and maybe it's just because they're architects. They just realize that you've got to pivot sometimes. So in all of this, they've been really, they have not focused on the technology, even though they're all tech geeks, they focused on the pedagogy of the design of it. They, now when we hear about high flex, we have lots of classrooms that are like $50,000 classrooms where they got the PTZ cameras and they've got the big screens and they've got projectors everywhere. What they've done is they've got little, they've got webcams up all over their, their classroom and they've got like a lapel $50 lapel mic that they clip on that they're going to, they're using Microsoft teams. Um, they've got little, a little video switcher that they'll just walk over and press, but they're doing it. And they realize that it's the pedagogy that was important, not the technology. And I just wish that when we talk about high flex, that we stop focusing on the fact that everybody thinks high flex is about a camera online and a screen where you can actually have students look at each other. Well, it's not, it's, it's so much more than that. You've got to design these things properly and they aren't, they're just, it's lecture capture is what a lot of people are doing and calling it high flex. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So how are you addressing the, uh, the issue? And I think I just found the title of this episode. How are you, how are you finding the discussion of pedagogy over technology? Cause you're right. Um, a lot of us look at technology and, and want the Ferrari in the garage, but we don't even yeah. know how to get it out of first gear. Yeah. Right? 
Um, yeah. And it sounds like this team here, they, they, they've, they've got the Volvo <laughs> uh, and, and they're driving it. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, Paris to Dakar car rally. <laughs> they, not only that they didn't get the Volvo, they went to the junkyard, grabbed that old Volkswagen rabbit that <laughs> didn't run. And they threw a Porsche engine in it yeah. and they're trying to make it work and they're tweaking it as they go. Yeah. Nice. Uh, it's, it's an ongoing discussion. It's, it's a hard, some people get it and some people it, it takes conversation for them to finally get it. Right. So, um, the Peter got it right away. Like him and I were really aligned on how we think for that stuff. But again, it, it comes through like the only reason why I got it is because of Sally and you and Lucy and, and Nikki and having conversation after conversation. When we did this pivot to remote online delivery three years ago or two, not three years ago, but it probably will be three years, 10 years. Yeah. 10 years ago, <laughs> back in my day, <laughs> That's right. two years ago, it was like, it was, I was all about video capturing and getting videos built and, and all that sort of stuff. And then we started talking and then Sally, because of her experience with designing that online course for the second year hairdressers really kind of brought that to my attention. I started reading Bob Beatty's book on, on high flex and realizing that. So it's just like people, and why not? this is one thing I wish that we could see in most institutions. And again, I'm lucky because I have a great learning teaching center. I have great other deans that understand pedagogy, but I really wish deans had to take a course in, in teaching learning because we come at it. And I mean, I'm lucky that I have a degree in that, so it helps, but you see other schools and other institutes, whereas you've got people that have MBAs and that sort of thing, which is important because yes, the business need, model needs to keep going, but our business is teaching and learning. So you have to have an understanding of that. They don't dive as deep into it. And yes, I, for me, it's, it's a passion. It's a hobby. I love teaching and learning. It's the thing that I read about after work and watch movies on after work and videos and stuff like that. So people like us are outside of that, but we really need to, in order for these discussions to move beyond just technology versus pedagogy, we, a, we have to, we have to have a champion. I'm lucky. I have a, a Peter Kelly in my pocket and now Peter Kelly is now evangelized his crew. So I've got the Elios, I've got the James, I've got Ben, I've got Felix, all of their, they're doing amazing things. So they're, they're pushing the boundaries. Then from there, we start showcasing in the college. Okay. This is what Peter and his crew have done. They start asking questions. And now our business school is looking at completely going high flex because of COVID and because of, we have a high international student. So the, having that aspect of it again, do they always get the idea behind the pedagogy of it? No, but we've tickled them a little bit with it. And so they're going to learn as they go again, because if anything, like, yes, you're right. We have all these people that want to buy the, the Ferraris, put them in the garage and don't know how to get out of first, but eventually you're going to learn how to get that out of first by grinding and using the clutch. Right. So you can just, you'll have to go back and fix it, or you can listen to the people that have driven before you but either way, eventually you're getting out of that first gear. Right. So I would say, having the Peters and the Elios and the Felixes and the Jameses out there saying, okay, push down. Then you, you wait till the revs are up and then go into gear or they they'll get there eventually if they've got that, right. They're smart people. They'll get there. Is it at the, is it the best interest of the student to do that? No, but we get there. But again, you just have to have those conversations, find those champions and showcase, showcase them. That's what I think you need to do. I think we need to take pe people that are doing those great things, let them, give them that voice that they need, give them that, the, the views that they, they so desperately need people, people desperately need to see what they're doing. Right. So we need to open that up. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think we, we're living in an era that that can happen more and more, right? Where, you know, we've, we've, we've even taken conferences and, and workshops online. And so now we've just blown the walls out. So no longer do we have to travel to one area to mm-hmm. have that done. We can, we can project from that area out to the world. And um, it, it's really cool now because I think, I think there are more people curious about these kinds of things than we realize, but they just don't know where to start, right? Like they, yes. they don't even, they don't even know, what to change. And, and I I think one of the big successes that, that, that I've seen is that we don't worry about the terminology so much. Mm -hmm. Like we don't, we don't worry about labeling things pedagogy so much, but we're not afraid to talk about that, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's, that's almost a secondary thing to get into later on. What I found is has really worked is showing people case studies or pilot studies or getting them to practice something on a minute scale first to kind of prove the concept. Right. And, and then once they've seen it work really well on that small scale, okay, well, let's look at scaling it up now. Let's, let's take it to another part of the course, or let's take it to a whole course, or let's take it to a whole level of apprenticeship. And I've seen some real good, um, uh, outcomes of that because, People are used to dealing with small because when you talk about change, they think, well, do you want to change the whole apprenticeship? Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but let's, let's do it one line item at a time. Right. And, and um, I think, I think what you're saying is really important in the sense of not only is it collaborative and bringing people together and giving them space. And here's the second piece, giving them space to practice and even make a mistake mm-hmm. or two. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's how we learn. Yeah. Um, but third is, you know, exposure, uh, having them exposed to other people that are doing the work and they're learning too. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we get caught up in this, in this hamster wheel of, well, I have to make sure it's perfect before it's successful. And I, totally. I think that, I think that that, that's a, that's a misperception of the process. Yeah. I mean, done is better than perfect, right? Cause at least you get it out there and then you can iterate and move on from that. And you're right. I think especially when we're talking about vocational education, we, we get so paralyzed by that. It's gotta be, it's gotta look pretty, gotta be done because when we're out in industry, it does really, you don't get paid unless it's done properly, but this is not, this is more of an art than it is a science. And that's where I think we need to get that word out too. Like this is, this happens through mistakes. Like the Jackson Pollock's of throwing paint at the, the canvas. Like, why, why can't we do that in education? Why can't we take those risks and knowing that we're like, I'm not saying that we're going to be throwing our students at the canvas, but there's, we should still be able to hit outcomes and not the student in the head, but why not take those giant risks and see what happens? What else, what do we have to lose at this point? I mean, the, the educational model that we're using right now is designed for the industrial revolution, but we're in the informational revolution. Now it needs to change. Why are we still teaching the same way we did 200 years ago? When we, I, I read a, article the other day that said that if somebody, if somebody from the past, say 300 years ago, walked into a Starbucks, they would be blown away. Like they would not even be able to wrap their head around what was going on in there. Had they, you take that same person and you walk them into a lecture hall at a university, they'd be like, Oh, this looks familiar. Okay. And they sit down and they could take it in. Right. So why is why are our schools so far behind on the way things are done. And I know it's, it's cause it's a big machine and that we all, it takes time to change. And there's a lot of things that go in that. But when we look at the way that the music industry has had to change over the past 10 years, 10, 15 years, like when I was a kid and you're the same, we've probably talked about this. 
It was a big deal when your favorite band released an album. I would go down to Kmart. I would buy it. I would open it up. I'd open up the liner notes. I'd read those things like crazy, right? You tell that to my kids now, first off, they don't know what a cassette is. Movies have changed drastically over the past 10 years where it was, I loved on a Friday night going and you see the memes all the time going down to blockbuster. You spend like most of your night just looking for the movie, getting the movie and then going there. Now we get paralyzed or we're texting you and I are texting each other. Hey, what movie would you watch tonight on blog? Which one are you going to stream? That's all changed. So we need to think about in this new model of the way that society and civilization is going, how does education now come up in that? What are we doing that? And we've joked about, or talked about trades flicks and all that sort of stuff, but why not have access to that? Why not have like just in time delivery of courses that can be done that way. And, or if you want to do it, high flexes, like uh, Casey Neistat's a great example of this. He is a, a vlogger who I just listened to a podcast about his story. It's absolutely amazing. But he, he designed a course recently and I was, I was surprised that he had never designed a course, but he had designed a course that is all basically asynchronous videos. So it's, you know, you take a course on editing on film, like on frame rates, blah, 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 blah. So you, you can take all these courses, you can take his course and do it all on your own and, and blast through it in it two days, or you can join the cohort with Casey. And there's three projects that you have to, uh, you have to deliver within the, the two months that you are part of this cohort and that Casey Neistat will go and give you feedback on. So at the end of the day, you can blast through it and, and get the information you need in a week, or you can go through it step-by-step methodically with Casey and, and do that and go through the projects and, and send it in. So that's why not, why maybe we are looking at different models like that in, in universities and colleges and polytechnics as opposed to just lecture, like stand up in front of a class for three hours, lecture, and then let's go to the shop for three hours. Yeah, totally agree. And and I think that, um, the product of, if I was to compare the product of somebody coming out of that week long immersion of just, I'm going to do it on my own and do it, they're going to have a certain level of product. Um, but if you compare that to the person who spent two months with a cohort and with Casey Neistat, I would argue that that product is going to be substantially better. Because, because you're getting into that feedback loop, you're getting into that peer support group, you're you're getting into this, this idea of micro uh, changes of you develop something and then you get feedback and then you change it. And then you develop something, you get feedback and you change it. Whereas if you're on your own, you're, you're missing that feedback mechanism, right? Yeah. Which is one thing that I really love about apprenticeship uh, and it can, it can look horrible, uh, but there have been some really good instances of that feedback mechanism where you do something and, and your journey person comes by and they look at it and they critique it or they come by halfway through the project and they say, okay, you need to think about this. You need to employ this yeah. and you make those micro changes. Well, the end product's going to be way better than it would have been if you were on your own. Right. And, yes. um, and, and distance ed is, has proven that to us that very, very low percentage of people who start distance ed actually complete the program. Yeah. Right. It's, it's been such a huge failure that I don't even know why we're still doing it other than it's, 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 you know, it's a cash cow. You collect your money at the beginning and you give everybody the information and, and whether they finish or not, well, that's on them. We've got our money now. So, um, we're here to quote unquote support you. Um, but it's all up to them to reach out. Where is this? I, I, I think I, 
like to look at it as a double immersion or a, or a, or a swimming pool where, you know, you can, you can hang out in the small end, the mm-hmm. shallow end and, and do things on your own and figure stuff out. Or with a cohort, you can go to the middle of the pool and get a little deeper and explore a little bit more, or you can go to the diving tank with the person who's done this for a long time. Uh, and you know, some of the basics and now they're going to take you deeper into the pool. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think for the most part, most people are going to go for that diving tank portion because they want to be with the expert, but they want to be respected enough to learn stuff on their own. I think that's, I think that's the tension that we're in. And I was just listening to right before I got on with you, I was listening to a, or watching a YouTube video with Seth Godin called the revolution is now. And he talks about like Coursera and Udemy. And he said, when they first got out, he says, basically any skill that you need to learn, you can now watch a video on and get that. How many people actually finish these courses? Very, very, like you said, like it's probably, it's ridiculously low. I think like 2% actually will, the same thing. That's why MOOCs blew up and then exploded and imploded on themselves, right? Because people weren't doing that because they weren't getting that community. And that's, that's, I think you're nailing it there. I think that's the whole thing is we need those, we need that feedback again, as instructors in, in universities now, subject matter is out there. You can learn anything you want from YouTube. The biggest school in the world really is YouTube. Now, if I can't do, I was having problems with my hot water tank the other day and I saw that there was a code flashing. So I just went on YouTube to see what that code was. And then I fixed it myself. So all the skill is there, but if I was to become a plumber or gas fitter, I would want somebody like you that I could say a a call up or go onto a discord channel or a Slack channel and have that collaboration within that cohort with, and I think you and I had this, we had a a discussion just about this uh, maybe like six years ago about how doing that sort of online slash collaboration for other things where you could, you have this asynchronous videos, the assignments, but boy, wouldn't it be amazing if you could take these people through cohorts and mentorship, even if you had somebody in year four, that part of their project was to mentor a year one student and they have those that, that would be magical, I think. And so again, it's the whole reimagining of how we, we can do all this. The curriculum is out there. We can, you can blast a video together pretty quick, but why are we focusing on that when we should be focusing on the facilitation of how we want the students to go through this and be there to answer questions as opposed to give them information. We don't have to give them information anymore. They're getting, I guarantee any instructor, I don't care what you're teaching. You're going to have some students go home and YouTube what you just taught them because they didn't understand what you were talking about. And I don't <laughs> care what, like, and I think I'm, I was a great teacher on some things, but I have had students say, I didn't really get it. So I watched this one and then share with the class. Well, what I wish my students would do is share with me the video that helped them get it so right. that I could get how they could do it. Right. right. So I'm going off on tangents now, but no, that's all yeah. good. It's all good, baby. So, um, we're, I want to be cognizant of time. We're coming up on the time and to say, thank you so much for, for being a part of, of the show today. It's been good to connect and reconnect and mm-hmm. you're blowing my mind and stretching my boundaries a bit. So it's, it's all good. Which <laughs> I really appreciate about, about our friendship and, and our, and our working together is awesome. We haven't talked to anything about OER and, and all that stuff about how no, that can enhance. Uh, that's a whole other episode probably. Yeah. Um, so moving forward, let's, let's say you have uh, some faculty who are, are looking at, making some changes and, and, and they're not sure what that would look like. Um, and they, and they come and ask you, are, is there some resources or books or videos that, that I can look at to kind of prime the pump a little bit? What, what would you, what would you recommend? Oof. Well, right now I'm just getting my mind blown by this book 
the future of teaching and the myths that hold it back by Guy Claxton. So he, he talks a lot about how uh, education previous to all this is the idea that we have to impart knowledge. It's a, it's a Palafrier thing where they talks about, we deposit our information to them. Great book. Um, podcasts that kind of get your head spinning. Uh, there's this one, obviously practice pedagogy. If you go through the previous catalog, it's just us plus Sally and Lucy and, and then the amazing guests you've had along the way that wrestle with that stuff. So I think that's a good primer. Um, teaching in higher ed with Bonnie Stahoviak is one of those ones that I listen to nonstop. Uh, uh, trying to think of other books and pod- I, Seth Godin is another good one. Anything like he's, he's known as a marketing guru, but if you just type in Seth Godin education, he's got some amazing ideas in regards to education. He talks a lot about the same things that we've talked about today, about how it, subject matters out there, no matter what. Um, and just try to find, like, honestly, try to find a community of practice or people out there that want to have those conversations and start having them. How many times do you and I sit in coffee shops over the past years, just hashing out ideas and talking about things and journaling things and writing things and sharing. And still to this day, now we have that group text that's going back and forth with other like ideas, try to find like-minded people and you'd be surprised who they know. And then, or talk to people that you are that you see are doing cool things. Where did they learn that sort of stuff? Cause I mean, I could provide a huge list, but um, you never know what's going to connect until you talk to somebody else that's going into that sort of idea too. And step outside of like, another thing too, that I struggle with this a bit is step outside of education. Like I, I love, for me, I love music. I love movies and I love the creative aspect that goes behind that. Some of the ideas that I've gotten have seriously been from watching YouTube videos on like the Casey Neistat's of, of the world and all these like Matt Devellas and Pat Flynn's and all these, these be holistic in the sense that education, you're not going to learn from just educators. The like high flex, when you Google high or YouTube high flex, we need to get some people out there that actually have personalities that are talking about high flex. There's, there's a few good ones out there, but for the most part, it's like, it's lecture capture again. I wish people would do an engaging video on how high flex, the high flex conversation needs to, to look at. So step outside of that. There's things going on all around that I think you can draw inspiration from, but just try to get inspired and then just run with that. Nice work. Nice work. How can people get a hold of you, Chad? Uh, they can get a hold of me through my email at cflynn at mhc.ab.ca. If you want to talk to me that way, I'm really active on Twitter. Chat, at Chad H Flynn. I'm really active on LinkedIn, uh, Chad Flynn there. And I'm not really active on anything else. I mean, Instagram, but that's all. If you want to see f- pictures of my kids, then that's where you're going to find those. <laughs> you're not on TikTok. I, no, I don't put it. I keep thinking about, I just don't have time right now. That's the one thing that the Dean job pick away from. Me. I used to like pump out videos all the time, but I just yeah. don't have time. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Good. Well, thanks again for taking the time, Chad. Really appreciate uh, you being with us on the show today. And, um, you've given a lot, a lot of stuff to think about. And, uh, there's a, there's a ton of stuff in here for people to, to grab a hold of and spin off on. And I'll, I'll include all those connection points for, for people in the, um, magical show notes. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, if you, if you haven't already go and check out, uh, uh, teaching in higher and higher ed, but Bonnie Stohoviak, that's a really great episode, a yeah. really great podcast. Yeah. Um, there's a few other podcasts out there that are, that are really good when it comes to education and, and quote unquote pedagogy, like pedagogzilla, which is uh, yeah, fantastic. A fantastic and fun one. Yeah. That, that I mean, one intersects pop culture with 
it's a, they take a movie and then they, they take a learning theory and they'll be like, how is Harry Potter like constructivism? Yeah, and, then exactly. they'll, they'll, and it's, but it's funny. So those guys are hilarious. Yeah. It's Definitely. great. It's great. And and you never <laughs> think about the connection of one, one piece of, you know, uh, culture like that to, to educational concepts, but they do a totally. really good job Yeah, and, um, good. And so you've got a podcast too with, with medicine hat college, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. I, so this is, it's a, it's kind of a hybrid of between what Sally Binden has done with her digital tool shed that she does with her trades faculty. I think they meet on Friday mornings at 7am. My faculty doesn't always we're on different schedules. So what I did was put together a podcast based on, on stuff for trades and technology, education, pedagogy. And that's kind of based off of, um, Brenda Gray Clark's, you got this podcast from TRU. She did one that was specifically for TRU, but opened up because they're very open there across. So I, I kind of followed that model. So I took Sally and Rand's stuff and put it together. And here we are with the digital tool group. So yeah, it's, it's on Spotify, Apple, whatever. It's great conversation. Jason Opino, our director of teaching and learning is he's amazing. So him and I had some conversations. We actually had a carpentry instructor. One of our carpentry instructors, Paul Sean was on the other day talking about reflective journaling in carpentry and how he gets his students to journal every day that they're in class for the entire eight weeks that they're in class, they have to provide a journal. And so that episode comes out next week. So you have to listen to that one. That's a good one. And then we had Dr. Sally Vinan was on not too long ago. I'm sure at some point we're going to have the illustrious Tim Carson on to talk about OER in the trades and we'll hit Nikki Ren up for assessment. So there's some good stuff. Peter Kelly's on next week talking about high flex. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's towards MHC. We talk a little bit about MHC stuff, but it's also, it's open up for anybody who get value out of it for sure. That's great. That's great. Okay. So I'll, I'll link that in the uh, mystical show notes too, but uh, I knew you were doing a project with podcasting with, uh, with uh, trades and technology. So I wanted to make sure we get that into the, uh, the official uh, voice capture. Awesome. Thanks again, Chad. Really appreciate it. I love these conversations and you get my mind spinning too. So I get right back at you. Uh, you're welcome. And I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks for tuning in. Got you on the other side. So like I said, in the uh, interview with Chad, wasn't that a great episode? He just brought so much for us to think about and chew on all these things that we've talked about will be in the mystical show notes, the magical show notes, and you can find those at praxispedagogy.com. That's praxispedagogy.com. Com. And if you want to know how to spell Praxis, it's P-R-A-X-I-S. No dashes, no underscores, just praxispedagogy.com. You'll find show notes there. You'll find links to all these things that we mentioned in the episode. Also want to take the time to mention that we are building a community of practice for trades faculty across this country. Why, why stop there? Let's build a, a community of practice across the globe trades faculty across the globe if you want to be a part of that community of practice email me t carson at bccampus.ca that's t carson at bccampus.ca thanks again for listening hope you enjoyed the show be sure to tune in every week because we'll have a new episode coming up lots of great guests in the queue coming forward and thanks again taking the time have a great week take care of yourself teach well